Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. We have a wonderful author with us today. We have Andy Heller. Andy wrote a book, not as a divorce professional, but as a divorced human being who really took it seriously, both the process and the aftermath. And here's his book's title, Take the High Road, Divorce with Compassion for Yourself and Your Family. Well, isn't that what I've been all about? And isn't that the hardest thing in the world to do, Andy? It it is, it is. Um, But if you all do that, actually, you get through the process healthier and typically it involves also saving money. Well, yes, I agree on both of those. It's just, it is a process to get people in sync because part of divorce is you went from being together and now you're moving apart. And what happens in that space is defensiveness. What happens in that space is a redefining of who people are. And what happens in that space is that whatever caused the marriage to end has to be dealt with before you file for divorce. And I think that's one of the biggest problems, that people make a decision to get divorced and then quite often move into the divorce too quickly. Those people who wait, and I'm going to ask you your process, those people who wait to process, maybe they're still living together, maybe they want to reorganize and live in separate houses first. That is part of the grieving process, and that's part of the the, the re-identifying process. And 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 it it allows that space and time allows people to get to know each other in a different way and maybe stop being suspicious which which naturally creeps into the energy between people so i'm going to ask you this because you wrote this book in response to your own divorce and and it's such a nice book i love it How long was it from the time you and your spouse decided to be divorced to the filing process, the start? The filing process, Judith, uh, and again, for our situation, what I'll say to everybody is everybody's situation is a bit different. My, My spouse and I had already had one separation. We had done a lot of work to try to repair the union. And once we decide to divorce, we stayed together, like what you were referencing for about three or four months. And then, then, then we filed, but the actual divorce did not occur for literally a year after that. The, the the, the the finalization, Andy, you mean the finalization of the divorce? Correct. Correct. So the, the big picture point that I would offer everybody is that. We really live today in a throwaway, in, in, in an immediate gratification society. And I think there's value to be gained by taking your time, making sure this is the right path that you want. 
And of course, we're assuming there's your own divorce is a situation where there's not a third party or there's no physical threat because that those add really different dynamics. But assuming that you don't have those happening, I believe take your time. You never know. Maybe therapy can save your marriage. And the other thing that I will talk about, and you probably read this in the book, Judith, is that one thing we people don't think about oftentimes when we are separating is if we have children, what will our adult children look back in the mirror and ask? And if if you even if you know 90% that your marriage is not going to make it, if you were to invest in half a year of therapy and slow down the process, even if it, you were not one of the therapy success stories, think about how powerful it is to tell your children when they're 25 or 30, you know, it really wasn't working out that well, but you guys were so important to us that we invested time with a the therapist to see if there was anything still there. That's a pretty great message to your adult children because they will be asking that question uh, on some level almost always when they're adults. I agree. I agree. Andy, the phrase taking the high road has been used a lot by people in different situations. Quite often, there's an ego in there. I took the high road. I'm I'm better than you are. But what do you mean by taking the high road? Because I know that's not what you mean because I read the book. Yes. Well, to be, I'm going to give you a joke before, as I start with my answer. If I had to do over again, Judith, I would pick a different title because people look at that title and, and the, the instant impression is, Oh, this book is all about giving away the farm or saying yes to everything. That's not what it's about, guys and gals. What it is about is pick your battles and pick a small number of battles and be focused in your own divorce. The result of that, so let's say I'm getting divorced and there are 30 items. Well, you go to your attorney and say, these are the three that are really important to me. I don't care any other 27. All right. So what you're actually doing, ladies and gentlemen, is you're arming your attorney with amazing focus that he or she should be able to conclude your divorce faster with less stress and less of a financial impact on you. And it is the right thing to do to say, to give on as many things as possible. So taking the high road doesn't necessarily mean saying yes to everything, particularly if it if it's really nonsensical, but it, it does mean choosing what's really important, focusing on that, and for sure on the items that are not on your top two or three things to capitulate, to compromise and do it as fast and as cheap as possible. And one of the things that you don't hear often is your attorneys will love you. One of the biggest feedback that I got, Judith, when I interviewed divorce attorneys is that they have a challenge managing their clients because their clients are not focused. And think about it, if you arm your attorney with two or three items that this is what's important to me, then you're gonna be focused and it should result in uh, a, a smaller bill. Okay, so pick your battles. Yes. Actually, I I like that as well. And I do remember it's in the second half of the book where you gave examples about, it was within the co-parenting realm and you were giving examples of things that came up and who gave in, that was taking the high road. Yes. Because it, 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 
there was no battle then. One person could say, you know what, I can see the value in this. Okay, fine. It's not going to kill me to give in. That's fine. And then you even put at the end of that example, that means taking the high road. I just wanted you to explain for everybody just what you meant by taking the high road. And there's something else I want you to explain. So you had said that um, you read a lot of self-help books. So you really did invest in the success of your divorce and the future of the family. Because as we all know, you're still a family living in two households. That won't change. You are connected by your children. So that was really cool. But what weren't you finding in in many of the other self-help books that you were reading? That's a really great question. And I wrote my book because I identified a gap in a divorce book space. And uh, a lot of these books, and, and I'm a big believer, Judith, you, you, you read a book and you get one tip out of it, it's worth it, all right? Mm-hmm. But what I found... I. Uh, that the other books were missing was they were not comprehensive. Now, for everybody's a bit different when they're stressed. With me, I don't sleep a lot. So I read a lot of other books because I had time. I wasn't sleeping anyhow. And there was a book from an attorney about how to handle the, the, the primary residence. There's a book about a therapist about how to talk to your kids, this, that, this, and that. Well, most divorcees that I interviewed one of the things they said was really interesting. I felt the world was collapsing around me. I didn't have the time to take care of business, to take care of my kids, take care of myself. So most people only have two or three hours. Yeah. So what I try to do with my book is take the advice from these other experts and organize it almost like a business best practices manual that can be read in three or four hours and gives the typical divorcee 90% of what he or she needs to get through the process as healthy as possible, not just for themselves, but more importantly, for their children. Okay, I totally see that. The way this book has been organized, I've only seen one other book by a female after she got divorced that was pretty comprehensive, and it was only between two and four pages her chapter and her intent, her, what she was saying is kind of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, she was saying that when, when you need help, it's great to be able to go to one manual, one place, but nobody has the time for a 20 page chapter. You need information now, um, in, in bite sized pieces that cover what you need to cover. And I think you did a great job doing that, by the way. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm proud of it. <laughs> yeah. I, no, did, you- I, I didn't write this to make money. I've got a great career, everybody. This is kind of my pay it forward. Um, I mean, it started as a therapy pro- project for myself because when I'm stressed, I just write. And what happened is after I read all these other books and I looked at my notes one day, I was like, oh my God, I've got a great outline here for a book. That and and by this point, I'd read so many others, and I recognized what was not available on the shelves. So that was kind of the whole backstory behind this book, Judith. I think it's great, and and I think you hit the nail on the head. Okay, so I pulled out some topics that are not generally discussed on interviews 
that I find come up in my practice. And so I just wanted to cover them with you if you're okay with those. I'm fine. I can't wait. Okay. One spouse speaking badly about the other spouse, especially when they want to provide the mental health definition of their spouse. Like somebody will, it just happened the other day. I don't know if I should tell you this, Judy, but um, so-and-so has um, a dramatic range of personalities and you never know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm thinking, are you defining yourself by any chance? <laughs> but now we're talking about the spouse. So, and this is in your book, by the way. So let's talk for a second about how should you speak of your spouse? to the world, not the attorney, people? Okay, this is great. Great question. And um, if I could answer this question, but also give you something that I that was really groundbreaking for me when I wrote this book that is connected to this question. You got to be vanilla. Now, now, let me just say this, everybody. It is absolutely okay to find two or three people in your world Okay. And then you, you can just dump on them. Two or three people, you know that they are the safes. What you say is locked in the safe and it's going to help you to vent. That's okay. But beyond those two or three, you've just got to really be very careful. If you find yourself consistently bad mouthing your ex, um, actually there are stories of people who've lost their jobs because that's all they didn't realize that's all they talked about. Okay. And it will define you. And God forbid, then you slip and talk to your kids in that manner. And that's going to really impact uh, your children. So it's very, very healthy for you to restrict what you say about your spouse. That's negative to two or three people on your team. All right. And the others just be vanilla, be vanilla. Now, the, the point I was inferring earlier is my book is not the first book to say, don't badmouth your spouse. All right. Most books, most good books do. But we, but I learned something in one of my interviews that was probably one of the top four or five points that I was shocked to hear this. And I put it in my book. This came from a therapist, Judith. And the therapist said, what, what little kids, even if your kids are five or six or 15. They intuitively know to know one thing, and that is they are the genetic byproduct of a man and a woman. 50% a man, 50% of a woman. That's created that genetic DNA. So what the therapist said is when the child hears criticism of their mom or their dad from their opposite parent, the child processes that as self-criticism. Think about what that means, everybody. That means a divorcee that's saying, well, hey, your mom's like that. That's why I divorced her. Your dad does this. That's why I can't live with him. You're also indirectly criticizing your child because they are half of that person's DNA. So you've got to be careful, not just what you say about your your ex to others, but especially to your children. Okay, and I'm going to take this one step farther. Um, 
because I'm neither the, the ex nor the children. But when people at some point uh, get me alone, for some reason or another, they have to stop by and sign something or they make a phone call about something else and then they want to get into uh, creating an evaluation, a negative evaluation about their spouse. I would like to share, it, it's not a good look for you, the one talking. It is not a good look. First of all, what am I or an attorney or anybody supposed to do with that information? Mm -hmm. Where should it go? Information should be provided. And you tell me what you think of this. Information should be provided that's helpful, that's supportive, that will make the process move forward in the most positive way possible. But to stop and say, so-and-so has a, a mental health aspect to them. Okay, don't we all? <laughs> I mean, somebody could say that about me easily. Andy, I've said this about you forever. So, but no, you know, people, none of us are perfect. We all have our moments, but here's the thing. And I want to add this and see what you think about it. If there is a real mental health aspect about your spouse that would be detrimental to their parenting time alone with the children, it must be discussed in a whole different way um, because you become responsible as a parent for not saying something and, po and potentially putting your children in harm's way when they're with the other parent alone. If that's not the case, you don't need to say anything. Yes, and I, you're 100% right. I'm going to add an important sidebar to that. Rarely have I found a divorcee is qualified to be the, to decide if their former spouse has a mental health issue. So one of the most powerful things you can do for you, for your ex, and for your children is to involve a third party in your divorce, such as a co-parenting counselor who doesn't answer to Team Andy or Team Barb or whatever who is there to ensure that both of you guys are able to co-parent effectively during the most difficult part of your divorce. And that person's role is to look out for the children. And if he or she sees something that makes them nervous, now you got a professional involved. So you're absolutely right that everything and all the counsel in my book, there's a, there's a notation there. This assumes there's no, uh, uh, um, uh, safety issue that is threatening one of the spouses or the children or dependency issue that a spouse has that puts the children at risk, a new right. partner that endangers the, 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 uh, the children. Okay. But, and, and you have an imperative to act if you hear something that you feel makes your children unsafe. Yeah. Now, but, but in terms of being the former spouse, and the party that diagnoses a mental health issue, you can't do both. And you got to involve a third party. And, and that, and keep in mind, if you involve a third party and there really is something wrong and your children are in danger, then the ability to act on this is going to be faster and more impactful 
because you're not in the driver's seat, you're in the passenger seat. True, 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 true. Um, you, you talk about a special master a lot in the book. I do. And did you have to use one or did you wish you had used one in your divorce? We used a co-parent counselor. Did you? And um, uh, we could not, I could not get a special master established in my own divorce. And I will say to my ex-wife's credit, um, and maybe a little bit to mine, um, we quickly arrived at a place where we did not need it. But so many of the inter- couples I interviewed needed a special master years after and did not get one established. And for those who don't know, a co-parent counselor is typically a therapist, sometimes an attorney, divorce coach, who helps feud and couples make decisions on how to co-parent when they can't get along. And it's, they're, they're great. And like 90% of the time, a, a good, skilled co-parent counselor can do that. But it's not a binding decision. And if you have a truly obstructive spouse, then a former spouse, then this can really limit the effectiveness of a co-parent counselor. Essentially, a special master is a, is a tiebreaker who has the ability to make a binding ruling. Now, sometimes you don't hear about this. Why? Because it definitely means lower legal fees after the divorce, because a special master, when used correctly, keeps you out of court. But the special master typically favors the party the, the, the spouse, sorry, who tends to be more reasonable. So um, I do believe if you can get a special master into your divorce agreement before or after, it's, it's great. And in the perfect world, everybody, you have it there. Both parties know it's there and you never use it. So you only pay for what you use. But if it's not an ideal divorce and it's difficult to reach an agreement, then if you end up turning to a special master once or twice a year, you can get a, a decision that keeps you out of court. The other part of it that I will stress that is very important, particularly for the, for the spouse who is more reasonable, is it will help he or she keep their sanity. Because you know that you, no level of, of obstruction can override reasonableness. And there is a recourse to you other than going back to court. That's the benefit of a special master. Massive believer in it, Judith. You know, I never heard the term special master. And I mean, I've, I thought I heard of everything in divorce. I'm in Los Angeles here in San Francisco. So, you know, we, we know the laws of the state, you know, for divorce, but I'd never heard of that. In my settlement agreements, because I'm also a mediator, I put in mediation, not by me necessarily, although they will tend to come back to me, but just mediation um, if something goes awry. The only trick to all of this is both people have to have a certain degree of emotional intelligence to understand that they need help and that this third neutral party, whether it's a therapist, a special master, master a divorce coach, or a mediator, uh, whomever you would put in place in the settlement agreement before you would take things to court, because that's how we word them. I think that's how a lot of people word them. Um, I'm thrilled when I hear back from people that they ran into a challenge 
And yes, let's meet for mediation. I'm thrilled when they say that because that shows a mutual intent mm-hmm. to support the children, a mutual intent. So I like the fact that, uh, that you mentioned that, um, because it bears saying that whatever is put into the settlement agreement regarding co-parenting, it will be challenged at times and it will change as kids get older. And people have a difficult enough time getting to the point of putting their deal points in the settlement agreement. And then they have to revise them after after the divorce is over. And Andy, this is something else. And if you could address this, people don't read their settlement agreements, which yeah. is like their contract, their Bible. <laughs> you don't even have to call me if you read your settlement agreement for custody, co-parenting and child support. Don't you? Right. Yeah, it, it's it's it, you, you should proofread it before you put your signature on it. And then you probably want to read it once a year. So as things come up, you're very comfortable with the provisions. But I want to draw to something that that, that, that Judah said, because this is covered in a chapter in my book. Many people view their marriage separation agreement as a um as a as as a uh, as a contract that is unbinding. It is a it is a framework for a separation instead. And your children are going to get older they're going to get into trouble. Um, your lives are going to change. There's going to be a whole bunch of other dynamics. And if you, if you view your, your separation agreement rigidly, that's going to cost you a lot of money. You've got to be able to go with the flow because your kids' lives are going to change. Your life is going to change and your former spouse's life is going to change. And this is one of the wisest things I got out of one of the interview uh, as a, as a, like a 40 year, uh, uh, divorce coach and co-parent counselor. And she said, this document cannot be looked at rigidly because things are going to change. Work schedules may change, which might find you need to change the, the custodial schedule. So that. you've got to understand that. And I, I you hear so many times when these divorces, well, but I'm not going to agree because it's not in the agreement. You don't want to do that. And typically, any reasonable request from your former partner that you can accommodate that doesn't harm the children, your answer should be yes, without expecting anything in return. That should be the general rule we live by. And that is an example of taking the high road, because you may not be getting that back in return on the short term. But if your children benefit and you can accommodate, answer should be yes. And if I am to reference your book, you may not always get a thank you. You yes. may not always get the gratitude and appreciation that you would like to have because you just did a cool thing for the other parent, but be happy for yourself, right? Because you know that you just did a cool thing. Yeah, yeah. And and that's a really, really powerful point. You're, you're, you're not going to get the affirmation and the gratitude and the thank you from your former partner in many cases. So you want to feel good that you're doing the right thing. And it and actually, it does feel good, guys. It really does. I know yes. I don't mean to sound corny, but you'll see your kids are happy. You know, you could have had a fight, but you avoided it. And that's great. 
Okay. And so moving through a little bit more of co-parenting stuff, putting fun into the co-parenting relationship. So I'm going to do a twist on this. Of course, it should be fun. Of course, you should enjoy your children because they're going to be teenagers soon and you may not. (laughs) So (laughs) enjoy them while you can. But, you know, you have two different dynamics with parents, Andy. One parent may be better with the homework and the school schedule and the discipline. And the other parent may be better at the games, you know, the the social aspect. And with the parent who takes more seriously the homework and the discipline, there is the like a, a jealousy almost and a concern that the kids are going to look at them as the unfun parent. And I'm like, no, but I want you to answer this. How do you handle that? Well, we talk, I, I talk about this in a chapter called Change in Roles. And it, it's so important, no matter how difficult it is for you to get along with your ex, that you are on the same page when it comes to chores, discipline, um, and you've got to become adept at some of the, 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 the parts of running a household and parenting that maybe were the domain of your former spouse. Always. So, for right. example, if, uh, like in my own world, my ex was a wonderful homemaker and wonderful cook. I was a workaholic dad. So I had to pull some time away from my work and teach, get roll up my sleeves and learn how to cook, meet the doctors meet the parents of their friends so I could arrange play dates. You don't want to have a situation in a perfect world where you have one parent who's fun parent, one parent who's disciplined and parent. The children will lose. You want to try to get on the same page. It doesn't mean you have to get along, but it's in your children's interest that the discipline and the dynamics of both households are somewhat similar. Okay. Um, it's okay if the, if, if one parent likes to ski and the other one doesn't. And that's, and he takes the kids on the, I'm not saying that the other parent needs to become, uh, adept at skiing. All right. But, it, but it is important that you, both parents take the children on trips. Uh, both parents introduce the kids to their families, know the friends in the community. And it's very important that the discipline, that is occurring in both households is similar. And if that is not your reality and you can't get there yourself with your former partner, again, this is a great example to involve uh, a co-parenting counselor or somebody like Judith and say, hey, we got a problem, okay? We've got kind of got different energies and rules in our homes. Can we bring this somewhat close together while still keeping the uniqueness of each household? That's a very doable uh, Oh, my God, project. that sounded so sane. It is. It is. That was so well said. Instead of saying, we're just on two different pages, and I'm more right than he or she is more right, but we need somebody to force him or her to do, you know, to do the right thing. It's so different. It, yeah, or what, it the is. What you said, it is so different. It's so nice. 
Thank you. It is. Okay. Um, here's what I say. You, you can disagree or dis- not disagree. And I'm going to go on to another point. I say to the parent, the disciplinarian parent who's afraid, sad, upset, but my kids are not going to like me as much as the other parent. I say no. Kids need discipline. They know they need discipline. They know where the rock is. They know that their homework is going to get done when they're with the this one parent. I think the kids know. Don't they know um, the value in the disciplinarian parent? Don't they? They do intuitively, and they need it. And I, I'm going to, again, my book is not about my divorce, but I'm going to borrow uh, something I said to my daughter recently. And I said, uh, sweetheart, I'm not your friend. I'm your dad. And if I see something where you're at risk, I'm going to tell you. If you got a friend or boy you're interested in, and I don't, I think they're a bad seed. My job is to tell you that. All right. And that's, that's a way. That's a great answer to that point, Judith. You're not their friend. You're their parent. And I actually believe impassionately. And I think if you talk to the therapy community, the advice will be universal. If you have a divorce where one where child view one parent as they like one parent so much more than the other, allowing for the fact that kids go through stages. Stages where they push back on mom, stages where they push back on dad. Sideline in that for a second. It's not in your children's interest. If there's a a, a massively preferred parent over another. So you're not doing your kids a favor. They need discipline. And and they that you want in a perfect world that they are getting similar direction. Similar discipline from both parents. But if they can't, I have high hope that when they get older, as they're graduating from high school and have decent grades and can go either to a decent college or move on into business, whatever suits them, I think they know where they got that structure from. So maybe in our instant gratification world, you're not going to get that now. But I think you will get that if you've really put the parenting into the relationship. I have high hopes that that people will. I, I I completely agree with you. The kids will get it. And there's an, if one of my, my favorites saying the kids are the smartest adults in the room. They get it. You can't, you can't fool them, guys. And it. It, it, the, the crazy thing about this, everybody, it's not so different than what occurs in a, in a single household relationship. I mean, how many times have you heard, Hey, better be careful. Dad's coming home. And when he hears what you did, boom, 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 boom. Right. The hammer comes down from dad or the hammer comes down from mom and dad's the softy. This happens in a, this is a very normal situation for a one household environment. There's nothing wrong with it, everybody. There's nothing, uh, there's nothing that's abnormal about it. But when you do separate into different households, it's really, you're doing your kids a favor if the discipline can be somewhat similar. But it can also be, let me also explain things like I, I have a joke with my ex, um, 
I think it's a massive conspiracy, Judith. Everything bad happens on my custodial calendar. <laughs> I'm like, how are you arranging this? Okay. Uh, of course, I'm joking. She's not having a cause in this, but um, where you really want to be at, as important as as be given similar discipline, issues will occur typically when a child is residing with one parent or another. So let's say that you are the receiving, you are, you are the, the host and parent when an issue occurs and you have to implement discipline because of something that happened on your custodial time. Right. We all want, you want your, your divorce to be in a situation where you can call your ex and say, Hey, look, this is what little Johnny did. This is how I handled it. Okay. These are now the consequences in my home. It would be great if we could have the same consequences in both homes. And then when he shows that he's learned his lessons in two or three weeks, we remove the consequences. So that's an example, Judith, of what is more likely to occur. A naughtiness will happen in one home or another, or in school where it's under one parent's uh, custodial calendar or another. And then the parent who's hosting the child will give the consequence. And you want the receiving parent who gets them on the next exchange to honor the consequence. When they don't, that's really damaging. Right. And that really can happen if both parents have moved past the reason for the divorce. Mm Mm-hmm. And you've gone through your seven stages of divorce grief. You've reached forgiveness. And uh, and then you can really co-parent well. I mean, it's just so important. I, I thought of something while you were talking. I was thinking of an example of a couple uh, that really were just not getting along at all. They both wanted to get through the divorce and it was a kind of an ugly co-parenting relationship. Uh, very, very different. He didn't want to do anything she wanted him to do. And she was on a schedule. He wasn't, stuff like that. And I wonder, language and communication is so important. I wonder if the parent who really wants a more disciplined, organized uh, par- parental relationship, they get up at a certain time, they eat at a certain time, they do their homework, go to bed at a certain time. It's very organized. And then you have time for freedom. You know, you, you do have those. Uh, I wonder if the parent who's like that and dealing with the parent who's still adversarial to say, well, all right, maybe we should both just let our child go to bed whenever they want. Maybe mirror back in a very gentle way. All right, well, maybe I shouldn't worry about whether he's getting a balanced diet or not. Maybe I really should look at things your way. Mirror back what the other parent is saying in not an adversarial way, but almost like all right, well, maybe I should consider being more like you. Just hearing that back, I wonder if that would have an impact on the parent who is establishing no ground rules at all for the child. I yeah, wonder. well, let's just hope that uh, the, the, the ideal situation is not to get there, everybody. I and, know, but... um, 
But I'm realistic. Yeah. But uh, let me speak to, yeah, yes. Let let me speak to the co-parent counselor because this is an issue for the third party. Co-parent counselors, everybody, they, they don't have to be expensive. So in, I can talk about in my own divorce, we met with her, uh, two hour session about every three to four weeks upon separation. Then it became a two hour session every month and a half. Then a two hour session once a quarter, Hmm. a two hour session twice a year and a two hour session, um, if needed. And I think the last time we were there was six years ago. My point there, everybody is that, uh, having a co-parent counselor to help you do things that are so vital, such as align and discipline is be really, really helpful. Okay. And then a third party who's not you, because the other thing that happens in some more of the toxic divorces is that your former spouse just can't hear you and vice versa. You might not realize it, but you also can't hear your former spouse. The beauty about a co-parent counselor is the, the guidance is coming from somebody who's trained. He or she is, um, not on your team, not on your ex's team and the, they're the advocate of the children. So the, uh, this is, this is the type of an issue, align in discipline, align in chores, align in parenting that is absolutely monumentally easier with a, a third party. And it doesn't have to be expensive because you only pay for how much you use. And if your divorce matures and you grow into your roles as, as, as a single parent um, and there actually is some agreement that is navigated by this professional, there becomes very quickly fewer and fewer things to talk about. Mm. And again, your children's benefit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, gl- I'm glad you addressed the cost of that because I was thinking as I was reading, well, shoot, you know, some people don't have available money to do that. Um, it, 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 even though it's needed, but the way you laid it out, yeah, it can be affordable. It can really be affordable. Yeah, I'll even go a step further. Um, some of you can get this for free. There are lots of uh, cities have services for couples, uh, 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 support services. And we talk about this in my book for, for, for couples who are divorced and that don't have a lot of means. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of you can get similar guidance, uh, from, uh, pastor, priest, rabbi, iman. Um, and, the, and they, they won't charge for this because you're part of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a couple that, um, I interviewed and I don't, I got some of the lessons in the book, but, um, I didn't, I didn't speak of them particularly in the book. And they met like once every three months with a rabbi. And it was rabbi in their community. And he he basically helped them with their co-parenting. So this doesn't necessarily have to cost a lot of money, everybody, and can be done um, in many cases for free. But the, the bigger point I'm going to give you here is there's a saying, uh, um, bigger kids, bigger problems. If it, I have found 
in these interviews that I did with the mental health professionals and divorced couples. There is an absolute relationship. The couples that had help from professionals, they're dealing with fewer issues that cost money with their children when they're older. So um, it may seem like you're spending money, but you're actually helping yourself avoid bigger expensive problems. You know, your little, your, your, your 16 year old doesn't end up getting a drug problem or, or this or that because of things you did when they were younger and expenses that you incurred when they, you were younger that were basically had the goal of separating in a manner that's healthy. Understood. You know, um, there was, <laughs> I'm going to assign gender to this and I mean it in a positive way because I really like this idea. It was the idea of outsourcing. So let me set this up for people. Um, Andy was saying in his book that in, in a regular household where both parents live in the same place, you have a division of duties. So you can all relate to this. You have a division of duties. So that's fine. It makes the whole family uh, operate efficiently. And Andy just referenced a couple minutes ago that he had to get on the cooking thing. He had to learn how to cook. He had to do things that he didn't normally do because he was working all the time while um, his former wife was uh, maintaining the business of the family. And I really credit you as a man for the idea I'm going to bring forward because I said only a businessman could say this and it's so smart, I can't believe it. Outsourcing. Outsourcing. So Andy, explain to everybody how outsourcing became apparent to you what it is and why it's important when there are two households uh, after the divorce. Sure. In a typical one household environment, there are roles that each spouse will, will run with. Like, for example, I was the breadwinner and my, my former wife, she maintained the business of the home. She knew the doctors. She knew the schools. She knew the, the parents uh, of my, my kids' friends. And I brought home the bacon. I, I was an involved dad on the weekends and at night, but I had the, the income earning responsibility. So there's, there's a couple elements to that question. When you split up, there was significant pressure on my ex. She had to get a job. She had to make some money. Okay. So she couldn't devote all of her time to the, to being super mom. And she was a great mom. Me, I, I had to learn, meet all the doctors. I had to make sure that the parents in the community felt safe to have their children over to a, a single man's home. Okay. So I, I, I chose as my strategy for that, invite them all over for dinner. Um, I taught myself how to cook. I took some cooking classes. I had a lot of mistakes in the process. Um, but I was determined not to be a mac and cheese dad. Now, the problem, Judith, is that we have, last time I checked, whether you're a man or a woman, uh, whatever your gender is, there's 24 hours in a day. And you do need roughly six to eight hours to sleep. You do need some time to shower. You do need that minute to brush your teeth. All right. You do need to go to work. All right. Um, you do need to shop for your children and, and, and prepare a meal, blah, 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 blah. Particularly in these first year, two years of separation. 
the pressure on each spouse to uh, to uh, learn a competency of what your former partner used to do it can be massive so there's be, what's not changing is the number of hours available in a day so outsourcing is basically one way of looking at it is it's all about reducing the pressure on you and giving you more time to be an available parent, no matter what, whether you're a dad or a mom. So a great example, let me answer this with an example. So I'm running my own business, all right? I'm, I'm learning how to cook, all right? There's only so many hours in a day. So hmm, how can I help out make myself available to my children, all right? Well, found a college student uh, for 12 hours a day. Did help me with the dry cleaning, did the shopping. Every now and then she would prep uh, uh, prep a meal. Had two kids. Guess what? There's going to be some days when there's activities and Johnny and Susie are getting out at the same time. No matter how involved a father I am, I haven't figured out how to be in two places at once. So outsourcing is just getting some time relief on some of the more mundane things in the day so that you are available for the important things. I, when I separated, because my ex was such a great cook, I wanted my kids to see me in the kitchen, even if I screwed up a meal. I wanted to see that dad was trying, because I felt that that would help me when I actually created something that kind of sucked. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I hired somebody to help me. I gave her a weekly shopping list. as a college student. She could do that on her own time. And she was available when the kids were with me to help out with mundane, time-consuming things. These hours of relief massively brought down my stress and allowed me to be a better dad on the quality time, okay? And um, outsourcing, there's another great story in that chapter about um, uh, a mom who needed that hour a day for fitness or she that kept her sane right so she brought in the outsourcing in the morning to make sure the kids got up all right got ready for school she zipped to the gym she came back and she was energized for the day and able to clock in and be super mom yeah all right so the outsourcing it, it doesn't matter what your gender is it doesn't matter what you no matter no matter what you're doing when you split into two households you're going to be having time pressures to learn to do some of the things that your former partner did very very well at least to a level of competency and that time pressure is going it's going to eat up time and outsourcing allows you to get that time back so you can be you don't lose your job Okay, you can give your your employer the 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 eight hours or four hours a day that he or she is paying you for, and um, you can and the more and and also you you're available to your children for the key parenting time when they get home from school, and, and, and like one thing for me is I wanted to be able to have an hour a day also to help my kids with their homework. I wanted them to remember that dad was also helping them with their homework, so. While I'm doing that, uh, I'm helping little Susie, my outsourced college student, is going picking up Johnny from soccer practice. 
So these are the types of thing because we we human beings we can't be in two places at once. Right. And, but you want to give your kids quality time. That's what that does. Right. And so I looked at it as a very business like approach mm-hmm. to time. Um, and you're a businessman, so I guess I put the gender there. I also looked at women too often want to continue to be super mom and do everything they used to do when it was a two-parent household um, and still want to continue to do that and feel like a failure if they don't outsource. I just love that concept of outsourcing because it allows you to enjoy your life. It allows you to let go of the things that anybody can do or that, or that aren't the most important things to do so that you can focus on where the real priorities are. And I just thought that was brilliant. I love Thank that you. concept without about outsourcing. Lastly, I, I would like to conclude this conversation uh, with a question about something else that I, I thought was ultimately important. And it's come up several times here, and it'll still come up again. And that is, we all know about the conversations and how difficult they are when you tell the children we're getting divorced. But I haven't ever talked about what do you tell the children if they want to know why the marriage isn't continuing. What happened? And, and I, there's a, a couple couples that I'm dealing with. And I said, I mean, this is your life. Do what you want. But do your children really need to know that? Do they really need to know that? Um, so would you please address, cause it is part of the book. Um, how, how you respond to your children if they want to know what happened in the marriage. Before I answer that question, I'm going to repeat something I said earlier. If it is your former partner's fault, he or she had an affair, he or she did A, B, C, or D. If you communicate that to your kids, you're hurting them. They don't need to hear from you It was your ex's fault. Okay. Now, in terms of what the answer is, I'll give you one word. Vanilla. You know, Johnny, it's a great question, but your dad and I, what we're going to tell you is we both love you. The reason is not important. It's it's an adult reason. And we are still your he's still your father. That's your answer. She's still your mother. It's an adult reason. And, and you can say the same darn thing to a 15 year old as you do to a five year old. And if your children are adult children that are asking that, say you're old enough to know that sometimes people try to make it work and it just doesn't happen. And that was our story. And I'm sticking to it. Boom. Because, all right. Because the focus has to be the health and welfare of the children. It cannot be. I'm so angry that what you did caused the end of our marriage. It can't be that. It it, it, it can't be that together. You can do that as your own separate conversation. And and the good thing, what I try to do with this book, you'll see, I mean, Judith read it. um, we, We prepare you for conversations that you're probably going to have. 
So you got your answers ready. And that's a great example. You're going to get that question at some point, maybe multiple times from your children. And you've got to be ready and have your answer rehearsed so that they hear what you want to hear. But it's basically what I just said right now. Less is more. There's an adult reason. We both love you. And that's all I can tell you. Yeah. Um, do you think, Andy, that the kids at some point in time have a right to know or no? I'm on the fence with this. I have no idea. Well, okay. Uh, let's say if there is a dependency issue that in dealing with their former, that your former spouse, they need to be aware of this. Um, then that's a need to know. Okay. Because everything that I've read about dependency, it doesn't end when you stop. You are always dealing with it. Okay. So your children need to know that. Okay. Um, on, on affairs or I, I don't see any benefit there because if they take bits and pieces, of your own breakup. And that becomes part of how they conduct themselves as adults. Mm. That's part of that. That doesn't need to be in their wiring. It, they don't need to know that guys. And even if it was your ex's fault clearly and your ex admits to it, remember this, your children are 50% of the DNA of your ex. Is it going to help your children become healthy adults to know that your ex had an affair? Probably not. Probably not. Just say, you know, we tried to make it work. It wasn't a perfect marriage. We went to, we tried therapy. We both love you. The best thing for us to do to raise you healthy is to do it in two households. Less is more. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's. Yeah, and this I got from a lot of therapists. But again, the only, the only uh, exception to this, if there's anything that puts your kids at risk, yeah. or there's a dependency issue where your children need to be aware that yeah. mom or dad are struggling with a, with something, and that's something that, that 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 they unfortunately have to know. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about that. Well, Andy, thank you so much for writing the book. Thank you so much for sharing your viewpoints with us. That was great. It's such a healthy way of looking at life. Thank you. Uh, if I could just tell people where to get, they can get the book, Judith. Um, the guy is the, That the, was going to be my next thing. <laughs> so please take it away. Sure. sure. So my plug, everybody, is this. Um, I, as, as Judith said, I did not write this book to make a bunch of money. I don't have a separate business talking uh, about teaching about divorce. I got a successful career. I love my career. I wrote this book because I saw a gap in, in the divorce book space and I felt uniquely positioned to help. Uh, my book is on Amazon, Take the High Road, Divorce with Compassion for Yourself and Your Family. And if you're getting divorced, you've been divorced, having trouble with co-parenting, you got a friend or family member that's going through it or thinking about it, this could be a great gift. And the only thing I would say is if my book helps you, Please post a review. I'm very proud. My book is new. I've almost got a hundred five star reviews already. And it's just, it's just humbling that I've been able to help people out here. That's really nice. I'll give you a review. I would love it. 
Put your credentials, Judith, because credentials are really important. Excellent. I I was thinking of inventing a few credentials the other day. (laughs) I'm tired of the old credentials. I need some new credentials here. Andy, thank you. You you were delightful. I have enjoyed this book immensely. It was so easy to get through and poignant. So um, you did a great job. Thank you so much. That's coming from your background. Um, it's a compliment. I am very, very warmly accepting and it means a lot to me. Cool. You should, as you should, as you should. It's a great book. And And thank all of you if I may segue, for listening. I hope this was a helpful episode. The book absolutely will be. You know you can always reach me through my website, theamicabledivorceexpert.com. On the episode page, you'll have speaker pipe and you can send me an email that way. I'm always interested in new topics, so please feel free or comment on the episode you just listened to. But most importantly, and as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else. 